0: Welcome, everybody. Uh, well, welcome to, to the podcast. This is Dadlit. Uh, I'm here with my co-host, Connor Boyle.
1: Hi, thanks, Chris. It's real great to be here.
0: And I am, of course, Chris Ludwig. Ready to discuss
1: some books. Hey, Chris, remember when we used to dig coal together when we both lived in Florida? Connor, I don't think there is coal in Florida. Um, remember when we used to excavate limestone together in Florida?
0: I'm not aware of any sort of large-scale mining operation or
1: quarries in Florida. Uh, I guess I guess not. There. I'm bringing that up because digging coal is at the beginning and end of the story we're going to talk about today, which is Fire in the Hole by Elmore Leonard. Um, the first lines of the story are: They had dug coal together. And then the last line and, of the story... yes, yeah, book ends it we, it, we dug coal together. But in a very <laughs> and, uh, different uh, I don't tone. know, they never
0: they never do state that that's in Florida. The, no, the, no, that's they in Ken- from Kentucky. They're from Florida. Yeah, Kentucky. I was going to say, that's obviously where they did the coal is in Kentucky, which <laughs> makes a lot more sense. Yeah. But there, yeah, there's, a, there's a, quite a few uh, Florida landmarks mentioned in this book that was kind of interesting to hear. Um, yeah. They mentioned
1: Okeechobee. I was like, oh yeah, just was just out there last week. <laughs> yeah, it um it, the the book opens up in Florida with Raylan Givens, who's this US marshal and he is assigned to, you know, the it looks like I'd guess like the South Florida district. And um, he has. Uh, basically- it's very
0: interesting. I'm not. I'm not used to marshall type stories set in a tropical swamp. Like uh, when I hear U.S. marshals, I always think the West. Even if it's like modern day, I still think of like out west marshals doing their thing. But um, you know, marshals do uh, tend to the whole United States. So. It, it could be in other locations. I just never think of it until
1: I, I encounter a story like this. I know what you mean because this is this is a somewhat contemporary story. It, it was first published in two thousand and one. It was uh, I think it was an ebook, like an e-story, the first time it came out. But then it was a part of this collection when the women come out to dance in two thousand and two. And the story is set in a like a modern world. It's not a. It's not a. You know. Um, Early twentieth century, late nineteenth century America, like a Western might be, but the character of Raylan Givens, who's the main character, he's a federal marshal, oh, he's, he's, and he's very He's a Western. character
0: out of time. Yeah, yeah. he's a, he's a he's an anachronism. He's very interesting. I I, I, I kind of wanna I kind of wanna go watch the show based on this, and I kind of wanna read some more of these just to to get a feel for the character some more.
1: Well, multiple times in the story. They outright say, "Like, damn, Waylon or Raylan, you're you're like from a hundred years ago. You should have, you know, you should have been alive a hundred years ago." Now, I want
0: to preface this. I want to preface this by saying, even though I just said I want to watch the show and read more of these folks and Connor, I didn't like this story.
1: Oh, damn! I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a pretty <laughs> entertaining it's crime crime short story. Um, it's not bad. It, it's it's
0: it's definitely not the worst thing that I've read or that we've read for the podcast. I, d- I definitely didn't care for the, the story itself. Uh, uh, the, the minute the story opens with neo-Nazis, I was like, am I, we just went over Nazis. We're doing them again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, uh, and uh, I think that kind of like tarnished my opinion for the rest of the way through. It's interesting. The way the story is laid out, it's almost two stories. Uh, it's like the introduction of the the villain of the story and
1: then, like, the actual story. Yeah, that's true. So, th- a lot of the story... A lot of the page count, I should just say. Because it's not a long story. It's about, like, 56 pages, I think. But a lot of the page count... Yeah, it's short. ...is this character, Boyd Crowder, who is described as being a, a, a friend of Raylan's early on in their life. Of him... Um, Driving around Cincinnati, and he—he uh, he seems like he's about to kind of commit this terrorist attack. Um, but he, what he—which he does actually commit—but um, it's a little different than what they kind of set up. And he ends up blowing up. This it's outrageous church. too. They've got like they've got
0: plenty of people
1: in their crew,
0: and he picks like the greenhorn to be their driver. It's kind of like a—a a test. I felt like like we're gonna test this guy's gumption and see if he's got what it takes to be
1: one of us. They kind of uh, they kind of talk about that at one point, so maybe we should get into the synopsis to give this kind of information a little bit more context as to like who. All right, these real quick synopsis.
0: Are. Here we go. <laughs> Classic. Uh, Chris describes the plot as short as possible. Neo-Nazis are planning to blow up a federal building to get revenge for stupid reasons. They get a greenhorn to drive him around. They pop out the back of the car with a a bazooka and blow up a building and say, Fire in the Hole, which is what the title comes from. Roll credits. Um, No, and then that character goes on to go back to his headquarters, where someone informs him that one of his loved ones is dead, uh, killed by a girlfriend. So then the the story diverts to Raylan Given's introduction, and he's brought on to this case to investigate this guy, and they meet up. He just straight up drives over and talks to the guy. They have a very cordial discussion. Raylan pokes around a little bit more and meets the girl that killed the person and is basically like, hey, he's going to come for you. And then that happens, and the neo-Nazis are like, hey, why don't we just kill this marshal, and why don't we lure him into a trap? Since you're friendly, like, you could just convince him to come out to this location, and we could jump them. Isn't that, like, the best idea we've ever had? That sounds like a great idea that will not have any negative repercussions at all. And their trap does not go as planned. And then there's the best scene in the book, which is two people discussing over at a dinner table how they're going to try to shoot each other, and then a girl shows up and interrupts it, and the main character is forced to draw. And I love that scene.
1: Well, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I wrote like two pages of notes of a synopsis, but I think that's like, that's you covered pretty much all the stuff. I mean, there's some like smaller things that happen there, but there's definitely some specific scenes I would love to discuss. Well, let's start off with the first scene of the book because it, it kind of sets up the character of Raylan Givens as this legendary Western style lawman. So the book actually opens, and I think it's in South Beach at this fancy restaurant. And Raylan is talking to this gangster, and they're having a very kind of noirish conversation. Basically, Raylan has told this gangster, You have 24 hours to get out of town, or else I'm going to kill you. And uh, the guy's like, he doesn't leave. Raylan meets up with him and is like, all right, time to go. You know, you got like 30 seconds to get going. And the guy says, no, he looks like he's about to go for a gun and Raylan uh, shoots him dead right there in this restaurant. And ultimately it it was a, it was a good kill. I think is the industry term. It it was determined like, yeah, you know, he was, Raylan, Raylan was within his rights to shoot this guy. But basically his boss is like, Raylan, we're we're getting you out of florida you know you need to go somewhere else for a while so you're from kentucky so go to kentucky work there for a little bit so he get he gets sent to eastern kentucky coal country and that's how he sort of start so he that's how he enters this other crime involving the white supremacists which you know as chris pointed out he happens to be an old friend of this white supremacist who at the beginning of the book of of the story Blows up this church, this black church, which actually is not. It's revealed, it's not really like a church. It's more of a front mm-hmm. for marijuana um, selling marijuana. And because of that, the guy who owns the church That's is kind right. of reluctant I've... to like pursue like um, criminal charges against Boyd Crowder because he saw Boyd Crowder. Yeah, blow when it you're up.
0: running a, when you're running a criminal venture, if some criminal does something against you, you can't just report it because it's gonna it's going to bring the the law into your criminal venture.
1: Yeah, precisely. And yeah, you don't need that. You don't need people, you don't need cops sniffing around any more than they already are. Um, but yeah, so, so, uh, uh in, um, it's called, it's Harlan County, Kentucky. Um, the guy Boyd Crowder returns to Harlan County. Um, this, there's this other guy, Art Mullen, who is basically, uh, uh, Raylan's boss, he talks to Raylan and is like, so this white supremacist guy in town, you know, we think he's been up to some shit. Um, you know, I, I want you to look into it. And also, um, his sister-in-law killed, uh, his brother. Um, and it seems like it was in self-defense. I didn't, I, I went through the book and they, so they explain what happens is that basically the sister-in-law um of boyd crowder the bad guy uh boyd's crowder bowman is married to ava and bowman is extremely abusive uh physically and verbally emotionally is any way you can be and she uh shoots him with a hunting rifle one night shoots him dead at the kitchen table and it seems like they don't give too much detail but she didn't get in trouble for it i, I know. guess anyways uh, so what happens next is that Ava and Raylan reconnect. They knew each other. They were kind of romantic with each other before, you know, when they were younger. Um, oh, <laughs> th- there's not much story to discuss here. I mean, you did such a good job. No, of it. I'm trying to think of like what's important. Like I said, it, it's it, I, I definitely got some details wrong though, so I'm glad you're you're ironing those out. Okay, so let me. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, so okay, so any anyway, what ha- what ends up happening is Ava and Boyd reconnect. Ava's really in, or fuck. So what ends up so what's, so what ends up happening is Ava and Raylan reconnect. Ava's really into Raylan. He wants to hook up with her, but doesn't want to complicate the case just yet. Raylan ends up finding Boyd and this other guy, Devil Ellis, who's like his second in command. He finds him at Boyd's farmhouse, and they talk. Raylan tells Boyd that he wants him to show up uh, at a lineup at the courthouse the next morning because they have a witness to the um, the crime in Cincinnati and they want the witness to identify him if if he's the guy. We learn uh, that Boyd and Devil have this plan. It seems to... Their plan seems to be to, to take over a town, basically. Like, it, it's, it's not super clear, but it seems like they want to go to, like, a small town in Kentucky and rob everyone and um, take over the town... And, but but then, then they want to leave. It seems that their intention is to show the federal government that they can do that. It's like a terrorist. It, That's it, it's kind of
0: what the beginning was, too, was like a, not a test run, but like they drive around talking about like the building that they want to blow up and then they blow up that church. And... Like I said, some of it feels like a test run. Some of it feels like we're going to see if this boy has the gumption to drive us to do this crime, which I love because the kid's like, hey, there's people watching us, like right down the street. Uh, They're going to see us. They're going to see the car. They have seen us. They have seen the car. Are we doing this? And the guy's like, hell yeah, we're doing it. Don't be a coward.
1: Yeah, it's on. Fire in the hole. Um,
0: And then later on, later on, they talk about doing this. It's like just to show a sign of force it's like they don't ever seem like they do the thing that they want to do they just do all the stuff that shows that they can
1: do what they want to do that they have the freedom to do whatever they want i mean that that's the tragedy not the tragedy because tragedy implies like something bad happened but like it's the tragedy of these idiot characters of these like idiot militia characters like the ones in the Jack Reacher book we just reviewed is it they're they're like will review they they they're dumb there's a famous um there are, so Timothy McVeigh was interviewed when he was on death row the inter you know the interviewer is like you know Timothy like i it's my understanding that you think that people have misconceptions about you and about your intentions and you know what your mission is um, you know what do you think is a misconception and and Timothy McVeigh starts talking and you just automatically can tell like oh my god this guy's like a fucking moron like he, he's a fucking idiot <laughs> he is so dumb he's like well you know uh, do I have like horns coming out of my head am I the devil am I evil no I'm just a regular guy and it's like okay you know what never mind uh, <laughs> so I think that's you can't look too too deep for motivation and uh, you know strategy for with, with characters like this because in real life they're Kind of simple. However, unless you want to talk about maybe that the FBI was coercing them into doing this, but as we've said, that's a, that's a different podcast. Anyway, yeah. Ray, so Raylan tells Boyd, show up, show up to the lineup. Boyd is super headstrong, and you can tell this is going to be a problem. He doesn't like being told what to do. He doesn't want to have to show up somewhere for, you know, and do, do what someone asked of him, but he ends up get it going there, and this priest, his name is Israel, he owns the uh, church that got blown up that, as we said, was not really a church, um, And he, but he decides not to ID Boyd, and the guy Devil Ellis basically explains to Rayland, like, hey, we know that guy. He knows us. We're both criminals. You know, he does his thing, we do our thing, he's not gonna roll over on us because that's only gonna cause him more trouble. So it seems like Boyd has basically gotten away with this crime. And I think what's important is that at this point, Raylan has done as much as he can to resolve this thing above board and professionally and within the traditional boundaries of the law and his profession. So after this, his hands are kind of tied but he's also the kind of guy who doesn't let his hands get tied. So here's what what I have in my notes is: Eva keeps trying to fuck Raylan. I th- I think they do. I don't know yep. if they do or don't sleep together, in the book. But she does like a striptease, uh, striptease for him, uh, while listening to Shania Twain's. Uh, I think it's I feel like a woman. Boyd, they decide that they're going to kill Raylan. Boyd creates this distraction where he has some of his minions. Open fire on these other US marshals um, and so he can get Raylan alone and him and Raylan meet up. Uh, Raylan goes to Boyd's house. actually, I think it might be Ava's house they end up at and Raylan has managed to take a shotgun off of one of the minions on the way over there. He walks into the house with the shotgun and uh, Boyd already has a gun on him as he enters the door and he tells Ava who he's got as a hostage there he tells her. Hey, uh, why don't you uh, take that shotgun off of him and hold on to it for me? And they sit down. They have a conversation, and Boyd says, "You know, Raylan, I heard this story about Raylan Givens, the legendary lawman, who was in Miami. And is it true that you told the guy that he had 24 hours to to get out of town, or else you'd shoot him?" And he's like, "Yeah, that's true." And he's like, "And you shot him?" And he's like, "Yeah, that's it." And you did it? Yeah, and actually, this what, what I just described happens earlier. He gives him that ultimatum earlier in the story um, and says, you have 24 yep. hours to get out of town. When they meet up, he's like, 24 hours is up. Um, and actually, it's not up, because Raylan is like, I-, I thought you said 24 hours. It hasn't been 24 hours. And he's like, oh, whatever, you know. It's been 18 hours, but if you don't leave it in 18 hours, you're not leaving in 24 hours. So they sit down, very tense. There's going to be a, there's a standoff. And what do you know, Ava, who you kind of have f- forgotten about at this point, she shows All right, back Alright, I want to read
0: this part. I want to read this part because I love it. It's it, it's really what turned the story around for me, for me having anything good to say about it. Ava had the shotgun pointed at him. Stock under her arm, finger on the trigger. She said to Boyd, you want to hear my story? How I shot Bowman? He never sat on the the end. He He liked the long side of the table so he could spread out. Rest his elbows when he was eating fried chicken or corn on a cob. You want to know what Bowman said when he looked up like you did and saw me with his deer rifle? Boyd said, Honey, you only shoot people when they're having their supper. He looked at Raylan for appreciation and got a deadpan stare. Bowman's mouth was full of sweet potato, Ava said. I watched him shovel it in as I come out from the kitchen with the rifle. He said, The hell you doing with that? Boyd said, honey, put it down, would you please? He picked up a paper napkin and began wiping his hands. Raylan took one and stuck it in his shirt. He kept his hand there, the right hand, smoothing the napkin, the hand that would slide down the lapel of his suit coat, sweep it open, and in the same motion, cover the walnut grip of his gun and pull it high to clear the six and a half inch barrel. He saw himself doing it and saw himself in the Cadillac with the shotgun blowing a hole in the windshield and tried to remember if he'd racked the pump after because he sure didn't hear Ava rack it. She was telling Boyd, And you know what I said to Bowman? I said, I'm gonna shoot you, you dummy. Raylan saw her jerk the shotgun to her cheek, saw Boyd bringing up the colt, putting it on her, and had no choice. Raylan pulled and shot Boyd dead center, the force of it punching him out of his chair as Ava, in her party dress, fired the shotgun and a 12-gauge pattern ripped into the bare wall. It told Raylan he must have racked it.
1: That's such a a great conclusion to uh, the character of Boyd, really, and... uh I
0: just love those. I've I've written scenes like that where there's there's a thought process going on in your head or in the character's head while an entire scene is playing out before them, and I love that him him planning out what he's about to do and then going, oh, shit! Can she even shoot him? Did I rack it? Is there
1: a, is there a round in it? Is is she about to get killed? Now I have to draw, and I think what's what's cool about that too is Elmore Leonard sets it up earlier on in the book. That shotgun is uh, first introduced by this character, Dewey Crow, who's one of the henchmen, and he... Is he the one with the alligator necklace? Yeah, he's from... I think he's from Florida, yeah. Yeah. And he he, he gets into, like, a fight with Raylan, and Raylan makes a point to, like, he observes that he has a shotgun, but he hasn't uh, racked, you know, uh, a shell into it. So that's kind of set up... So, so that that thought occurs to him again. And I thought that was good. It kind of, it, it, it made it work. It made it seem like more of a, made it seem more clever, you know, because it, because that first incident prefigures, you know, this, the way the, book, the way the book is gonna end and the way the shootout's gonna go down. I wanna read this one part. So, Boyd gives the same uh, offer to Raylan that he gave to that gangster at the beginning of the book. He tells him you have 24 hours to get out of town. And I just really like the way this is written. This has a very kind of, like, noir punch to it. Okay. So it starts off with Boyd. Last night, this marshal's telling me how one time you gave this fella 24 hours to get out of town or you'd shoot him on sight. Is that true? Was a gangster I saw shoot an unarmed man, Raylan said. I didn't feel he deserved any special favors. I gave him the option, and he turned it down. Well, all the trouble you're causing me, Boyd said. I thought I'd make you the same offer. Get out of Harlan County by tomorrow noon, or I'll come looking for you. That sound fair? Raylan said to him, Now you're talking. Yeah, and I
0: love, once again, the, the stupid balls on this guy. Raylan just came to talk to him. There weren't even, like, like it doesn't seem like they are pursuing hardcore pursuing the investigation the other dude isn't going to prosecute like uh, it's literally just hey your old friend who happens to be the law has come to talk to you and he escalates it from a non problem probably that he could have gotten away with to okay i'm going to threaten the law and put flame to the to the accelerant
1: <laughs> <laughs> he turns it up to 11 you could say um, yeah, which I just love that about this story. How I would describe this, and how it relates to Dadlit is this is sort of a, it's a western that's not a western that is a western, in the sense that it, yep. it is self-aware that the character of Raylan Givens is unrealistic. As I've said at several points in the story, they say, Raylan, you know, you should have been a marshal like a hundred years ago. But he's not a marshal 100 years ago. He's a marshal now. So there is that anachronistic. I, I love
0: his. I I love both his personal code, and how he uses it as an intimidation tactic, of the I don't draw my gun unless I'm going to kill someone. Yeah, he... Like, he's not going to draw his gun and hold it... Like, he's not going to draw his gun and hold it on someone to threaten him. He just keeps it in his holster, and he explains to them. He goes, you see this, you know, this is meant to kill. I don't draw it unless I intend to kill. I'm not going to draw it and hurt you. I'm not going to draw it and wing you. I'm going to draw it and kill you. So, don't make me draw this. And it's enough to, like, talk himself out of a situation. It's really great.
1: Yeah, he, he definitely has that old Western lawman, that code that that firmness that you know stiffness of, of spine that firm resolve but the story itself it's told like a western you know it, it starts off with a showdown it starts off with basically like a duel between Raylan and this guy and it ends the same way so it is sort of like it's it's, it's a modern western
0: and, and it's a, it's one part western one part neo noir
1: yes yeah it's like a, it's a contemporary crime story but it is sort of structured a bit like a western. Um, it it has that the, the the ultimatums, the timeline, and you know basically it ends like with a duel, like good good, bad and the ugly, and like a lot of westerns do. Um, mm-hmm. And that so that's one thing I wanted to add to the dadlit checklist and kind of elaborate on is that some of these stories, although they are not westerns themselves. It would not be difficult to imagine it as a Western. It wouldn't take a whole lot of work to transport the story into a Western setting and, you know, give people cowboy hats and chaps. It would work that way. I mean, this is basically, you could substitute, you know, Boyd Boyd could have been killing Native Americans, you know, at the beginning of it. And that's what why Raylan showed up, you know? It could have been- So how, how are we wording this for the checklist? Could have been a Western. Could have been a Western. Absolutely. Speaking of the checklist, here's what I have for it. You can add any if you, you know, of course, feel free to add any. Uh, okay. Excessive smoking and drinking. Yes. It's a, are, it's a Southern yeah. story. It takes yeah. place in Eastern Kentucky. Uh, there's a lot of smoking. There's a lot of, they drink a lot of, uh, mention a lot of Jim Beam in this, uh, which is a, yep. I believe that's actually made in Kentucky. Yeah. Okay. Uh hyper competent male protagonist. Yeah, Rayland is unbelievable. Gratuitous sex I,
0: I would I would I would almost argue no to that. He is a competent shooter and a competent negotiator, but you don't ever see it being I don't I I don't think it crosses the line into hyper competence. I think he's a respectable protagonist. I would not I would not call him a Mary Sue, I would not call him I don't think he has the same, like, perfect protagonist problem that a lot of dad-lit protagonists have. Mind you, this is only one story. I haven't read the others, so maybe in the others it, it crosses the line. But I'm going to fight you on on that checklist item.
1: Okay, I'm, will- Continue. I'm willing to cede that uh, because I would say, and maybe this is to make our checklist more specific, he's quite competent, he's quite good, you know, but he kind of his bravado guides him through these things he's not that clever really i mean it's more it's more of a uh a, a confidence it's
0: it's it's unbridled confidence but yes i i think you can be i think you can be confident and talk your way through things with bravado and not cross the line into hyper competence
1: it almost needs to be a separate checklist item okay Okay, so we're we're not going to check that off. I don't. I'm I'm okay with that. No gratuitous sex, but as I said, there is a strip tease scene where uh, he's getting drunk with Ava and she's like listening to Shania Twain. So it's not. We're not going to check that off, but it is a. There is a bit of a feast for your eyes there. Uh, gun porn? Yes. I wrote I wrote down a list of oh, all yeah. the guns in this. <laughs> okay, so here's what you have in this story. You have a pair of Chinese AK-47s. You have an RPG-7 anti-tank grenade launcher. You have a... That, they, that they, 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 they go into
0: great detail describing how you have to assemble it to launch it.
1: Yeah, like you have to screw in the explosive head onto the rocket. Yeah, but apparently you can, you know, you can drive around Cincinnati with one in your car. Okay, you've got a Smith & Wesson 45-6 shooter. That's Raylan's uh, sidearm. You have a Winchester hunting rifle, that's the gun Ava uses to shoot her abusive husband, who is uh, Boyd's brother. You got a shotgun that gets passed around quite a bit. You have a bunch of deer rifles, um, when Boyd sets up the distraction where he has his kind of idiot minions shoot at the marshals, they're using deer rifles. Uh, You have two Beretta 9mm handguns, and you have an Army Colt forty-five. Which is Boyd's gun? So you have a Smith and Wesson forty-five six shooter versus an Army Colt forty-five. Those are the uh, good guys and the bad guys guns. It's a good list, solid. I do like I, I and for a dad lich, you know, as a subsection of the gun porn item, I do think this gets extra points because the RPG is so central to the story. It is like a big part, you know, like. He, they, as you said, they go into a lot of description of it, and it is integral to the plot.
0: It's also what identify. It's it's what identifies him. Is he jumps out and says "fire in the hole," and later on they talk about, "Oh uh, yeah, this guy blew up this church," uh, and you know he, he said, "You know, fire in the hole," and they discuss. He's like, "Oh, I used to know a guy that would say that a bunch," and it's, it's kind
1: of what gives it away. Yes. Yeah. There is. I do. I did want to talk about the relationship between Raylan and Boyd, and I did. I do want to get back to what I mentioned about the uh, first line and the last line, and I'll read them so we we can know exactly what we're talking. about. Did you about. finish? Was that was that it for the checklist, or was there more? That's all I had for the checklist. Okay. Maybe if we think of more, we can go back and chop it up. But no, but, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no worries. I did want to talk about. The first line and the last line, and how they relate to Raylan's relationship with Boyd. So let me read the first line. This is this is the very first line of the story. They had dug coal together as young men, and then lost touch over the years. So that's the beginning of the story, referring to Raylan and Boyd, and, and the end of the story. So after Raylan shoots Boyd, Boyd's dead. The other marshals are there. They're kind of debriefing. The story's wrapped up. Here are the last lines of the story. He have any last words? He said I'd killed him. Raylan paused. I told him I was sorry, but he had called it. Art was frowning now. You're sorry you killed him? I thought I explained it to you, Raylan said in his quiet voice. Boyd and I dug coal together. Two very different contexts for... That mm-hmm. information that they dug cold together. But a great bookend. They are a good bookend, but what what did you take that to mean? Like, when he's like, I thought I explained it to you. We dug cold together. Like, what did he explain? Well, you you, you gain... I've, I've often told people that some of
0: my strongest friendships have uh, been forged through hardship. Some sort of shared experience, and it's my firm belief that when people share an experience, whether it's good or bad if it's something that's very memorable it imprints on you and it can form a very strong bond so if people go through a traumatic um, situation together they're never going to forget that and it it forms that kind of like almost like brothers in war kind of a thing with another person and I think that Working with people can sometimes form those bonds, especially if it's a hard labor like that. If you're digging coal together, you've got each other's backs, and uh, you have a, some sort of mutual respect. You're both going through the same shit. You're both experiencing the same exhausting job. You both probably are living a similar life of a similar income. Like I, I feel like it's the same kind of weird mutual respect New Yorkers have for each other like everyone always talks about how new yorkers like look out for each other and it's because we all like we're all standing on the subway going and doing something different but we're all struggling we're all we're all making that hustle to try to make money to survive and be happy and you kind of like help each other out to do that like if someone trips or falls you'll pick them up if someone's you know running to catch the subway you you catch the doors for them because you know you've you've kind of been in the same situation before and you you have that mutual respect for one another
1: you know, and in in the book, there is a section where Raylan talks a little bit about the work they did together down in the coal mines, and in, it is as it is very intense. It is as you're describing it. Um, it. It requires a lot of trust between the two people. I think that's a really, really great point you bring up, though. It, 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 you know, to elaborate it on elaborate on it a little bit, I'd say that, yeah, it's they have a mutual respect for each other. He says, you know, we dug coal together. It might might also mean like yeah, we went through hell together. We dug coal together. Like, he gets it. You know, you're responsible for your actions. Like, you know, we live in a world of consequences. He he knows it's fair. He knows my position. I knew his position. We understood the situation, and I won. Fair is fair. But um, when I first... that's That's like, after a little bit of digestion, that's kind of what I took it to mean. But when I first finished this book, I thought he meant like, yeah, we dug coal together. Who gives a shit? You know, like, I don't care. You know, that's my past. Like, I, I thought he might be kind of being kind of flippant and dismissive about it. Like,
0: yeah, I don't know. But him. that's the opposite of what he means. Cause he, he, the, the question was, why are you sorry? And if he was flippant, he wouldn't necessarily be sorry. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't faze him.
1: Well, that's why I kind of, I, I thought, I, I thought he might mean like, I don't care. He, yeah, so what, you know, like. I dug coal with a lot of people, but I think that what you described there is, is, is probably more on point is it is this sort of like kind of laborer and kind of macho, like ethic that is reaffirmed at the end there where it's like, yeah, you know, uh, he knew what the deal was. I know what the deal was. And well, let's get, let's well, get on that, with our lives.
0: Go, go. On going back to what I was talking about about mutual respect, there's a mutual respect between those characters throughout the whole story. Not just based on their past, but based on, like, the story that they talk about with, oh, yeah, I heard you gave that guy 24 hours to leave town. Is that true? Like, you could tell that um, Boyd kind of, I want to say admired him for that, but it, like, it went a long he way. Got, he got book. a
1: kick out of it, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, like, there's this exchange of of strange respect for each other. And when, when Boyd straight up pulls that and spins it around on him and he says, you know, now you're talking like you can tell that Rayland wasn't expecting him to have that much confidence, which once again is a a strange form of respect. Like even though this guy's doing the stupidest thing and threatening his life, uh, Raylan can still kind of sit back and smile and be like, "Wow, okay, <laughs> you, you've got some balls on you."
1: <laughs> yeah, he, he's amused. They're amused by each other. They're both, they're both in their own regards. You know, it, it's it's weird because Raylan is this old, old style, as you said, anachronistic character, and Boyd is this, he has that old west quality to himself as well, but he's he's kind of mm-hmm. has that outlaw quality yet as an outlaw he is like more kind of modern in the fact that he's like a white supremacist militia terrorist which is not to say that there weren't plenty of white supremacists around in the west i just mean that he's kind of rebelling against what he sees as like the tide in america he's trying to preserve uh he's a reactionary he's trying to to get back what he thinks is like this pure America. And at one point in the book, he, you know, Raylan's talking to him and he's like, do you believe all that bullshit about like, you know, the federal reserve and Jewish people and banks and all this crazy conspiracy stuff. And Boyd basically says, listen, all I know is that in 10 years, uh, he uses, he uses a little bit more, uh, coarse language, but what he says is, all I know is in 10 years, there's going to be a lot of mixed race people walking around in this country. And I don't think that's a good thing. So, like, that's, like, his sort of, like, baseline approach to all these things. So, they... they well, yes,
0: because to jump back to my original point, he's a neo-Nazi.
1: Well, they both have they both have difficult relationships with, like, the present. You know, Raylan would prefer probably living in the West where it's like, well, I shot the guy, you know, that is what it is.
0: Yeah, it's simple. Because
1: at the beginning, when he shoots that gangster across the table, there's, like, a, a hearing where he has to justify why he did that. And he's like, listen, let's not, you know, get into a big thing about this. Here's what I did. You know, I don't need an attorney to to speak for me. It was fair. Fair fair's fair. He's dead. That's what it is. So he has that, you know, you could tell he'd prefer to be in the West. And then, you know, Boyd himself seems to, to be displeased with contemporary society, but for very, very, very different reasons.
0: Mm hmm. Deadlit will be right back after a word from our sponsor.
1: The situation feels very familiar. In fact, I know what you're thinking. Did he fire 17 shots or 16? I think I may have lost track myself. So I suppose there's only one question you should be asking yourself. But do I feel lucky? Why wasn't I watching the other hand, Justified, season premiere Wednesday at 10, only on FX. And now, back to our show. I don't I'm looking through my notes here, and I don't have a whole lot more to talk about. No, there's not much really more to discuss. It's a short, short, short story. Bef- so um, Chris, are you ready to cast off?
0: i feel like there should be music when you say that but yeah, yes i'm ready
1: okay so we should note that there is that tv show justified the first season um is based on this short story fire in the hole um let me the whole first season yeah yeah i think i i so i don't know wow. go, i don't know if it goes into the second season i haven't watched any of it i
0: i i i, I thought it was just the first episode wow i'm I'm interested how they could stretch this into a whole season of television. How many episodes is that?
1: Um, So the first season is 13 episodes and it looks like they, this does not, this does not feel like enough for 13 episodes. We just cleared it in like less than an hour. In in reading the s- synopsis of the of the first season, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, side adventures. I'll put it that way, and a lot of extra characters. Yeah, I feel
0: like they could take. I feel like they could take a number of short stories and mash them together.
1: Now, the reason I, I well, I bring it up just so people know it it was made into Justified, but I'm like hard pressed to find a better casting for Raylan Givens and for Boyd because you have Timothy Oliphant playing Raylan Givens, fantastic, and for Boyd you have, I think, he, this guy is one of my favorite actors, uh, Walton yes. Goggins. He is just incredible. Yes, Walt,
0: Walton Goggins plays a great redneck.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He he plays little brother Billy in The Righteous Gemstones. He was in The Hateful Eight. Yep. He has that really big big, like, smile and kind of a crazy look in yep. his eyes. Um, and he is... Yeah, he was also in
0: Vice Principles. He plays a, a great flamboyant character in that. Uh, Which kind of shows off his range Um, And he was actually also in Django Unchained He plays one of the like henchmen in that
1: Yeah, he he is just And he's from Alabama originally I think he grew up in Georgia So he has a Gee, no, really? Yeah, in case you can't tell Um, Okay, so let's go through the casting And who would you cast first for the biggest role Deputy U.S. Marshal Raylan Givens
0: I went with Wyatt Russell, Kurt Russell's kid. He's got a, a couple of the same mannerisms and, and look as Kurt Russell. He's a little bit bigger built, which I think would be fine for this role as a uh, as a, a marshal. Uh, he can still kind of pull off the like cowboyish look and kind of like a country boy kind of vibe, and still be kind of severe. And I think that would be great for like the quiet type hero that uh Rayland kind of plays most of the time
1: okay I like that uh a, a younger actor who you know could play it throughout a franchise about this um and I, I yeah. like that they have a relationship to Kurt Ru- uh, Kurt Russell
0: yeah he kind of looks like Kurt Russell too which helps like I would if, if we were going to put it in another age Kurt Russell would be a shoe-in okay <laughs>
1: Hold on. I have to look up someone. We're going to have to edit this out because I was not sure who I was going to pick, and I never settled on someone, so give me a second.
0: Ah!
1: I've been there, done that. And no, we're not
0: going to edit that. We're going to leave it in and be awkward. No, I'm kidding. We're going to edit it out. Okay. I love all the times in podcasts where someone be like, edit this out, and then they'd leave that whole
1: thing in. <laughs> okay, so like I said, uh, I thought Timothy Oliphant was perfect for it, and I want... I if I had to cast it, I would pick him. But if I was forced to find someone else, I would say Jeremy Renner to play um, Raylan Givens. He has that's not bad. He has he, a sense of humor, and I think there's a sense of humor to this character, in the sense that they acknowledge how swaggering he is. You know, he's he's sort of over the top, and uh, Jeremy Renner seems like he can laugh at himself, and he can do that quite well. Yeah,
0: he can also play a serious kind of character.
1: Yeah, that would work. Okay, next one up is Boyd Crowder, who's played by Walton Goggins in the show. Who would you cast if you had to cast this uh role?
0: It's hard to top. It's it's hard to, I I thought long and hard throughout the whole thing of like listening to it and this whole like week leading up to this, and I think I'm going to go with He's kind of a character actor, and I don't really. You you may know him, you may not. His name's Richard Brake. If you Google him and look at him, you'd absolutely recognize him. He's been in a couple of things you'd recognize.
1: Okay. Yep. Yeah, you. So this guy was in. Most people probably saw him in Game of Thrones, although you wouldn't recognize him because I think he plays the uh, the, Night, the King Night King for
0: a part of Game of Thrones. There were two actors for the Night King, but he's one of them. He was in um, Mandy. But beyond, yeah, he was in Mandy. Uh, he was in that last horrible Trimmers movie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I need um, to catch up on the there's a lot of Tremors movies that have come out like They're bad. They're um, they one of them wasn't like, one of them wasn't all bad, but the New Lewis one
0: is absolutely awful. Um and he's in that. Uh he was also in um the latest season of Mandalorian. Oh. Um but he has a very severe looking, gaunt face. I I could see him very much as like a string beanie white supremacist militant type.
1: Yeah, for sure. He has that leanness and that kind of uh, mean-looking, you know, uh, uh, sort of you know, when he doesn't shave, he looks kind of like a mean dude. Yeah, he was from th- he was in three. I mean, Hell. dude, he's got like horrible, horrible teeth sometimes. So like, it, it it works for like a kind of like
0: a oh. rednecky uh, militant.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. That's very good. I would go in a different direction. Okay. I picked Jesse Plemons. If you don't know him, he was in most recently. He was in the. The sort of uh, anti-Western movie, uh, "Power of the Dog." He was in. Oh yeah, this guy. Yeah, he was the, he was the shitbag kid
0: in Breaking Bad.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think he was so, like a Nazi, the redhead in that kid. kid or something like. That. Yeah, he
0: was a neo-Nazi in that. He played Todd. Todd was the character in Breaking Bad. They were they were white supremacists that um, ended up getting involved. With the the drug trade stuff that they were doing in in the later seasons of Breaking Bad, he's been in a lot lately. He really his career really kicked off after uh, Breaking Bad and El Camino.
1: Yeah, it would be a lot different. You know, it would it would be he he doesn't have that Western swagger that we've, we were talking about, but I think that he would be he could bring a lot of drama to it and he could do something interesting with it. He can play a bad guy. Yeah, I agree. He can be a good guy or a bad guy. Oh, Yeah. Oh yeah, okay. Next one I have uh, is the character of Ava, who is the um, the romantic uh, interest in this. She is the one who lives in Eastern Kentucky. She kills Boyd's brother in self defense, and she kind of hooks, tries to hook back up with Raylan.
0: So, who did you tries to hook up with Raylan, and then escalates the the conclusion?
1: Who did you have for her? I had this actress from the TV series Ozark, her name is Julia Garner, um, and she plays this character Ruth in uh, Ozark, who is this, um, she's, she's pretty like ruthless in that, she's very like intelligent criminal, um, but she also has this kind of like southern nice quality to her, she oh has... yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. She was. I know. I've seen her in something. It wasn't Ozark. I, I'm struggling to figure out what it was. But she looks perfect for this role.
1: Yeah, because you gotta imagine this character is having on like a pair of like Daisy Duke cut off jeans and like a western shirt, and she's hanging out in like a kind of.
0: Yeah, you're gonna hate my pick because my pick's very cliche. But this is a much better casting than what I picked.
1: She was also in that uh, that
0: um, TV series Maniac. Um, that's, I think, what I recognize her from. But yeah, she's a good pick. She has a good look with the, like the like, kind of a little bit of a tooth gap.
1: Yeah, there's a specific yeah. name for that. I...
0: <laughs> it's not severe. It's a very mild tooth gap, but it, it shows when she she does her little like, slight smile. Yeah, that's. A, I think she could be a charming a charming love interest.
1: All right. So who um, we got?
0: Are you ready? To, are you ready to groan? Uh, always, Sherry Moon Zombie.
1: Oh okay. <laughs> well, uh, I
0: mean she's she's played that kind of grungy country girl in all of his movies, Devil's rejects and House of Thousand Corpses and a couple other ones. And I, I think she can play that, like you said, Daisy Duke's kind of uh,
1: flirtatious attitude. I am sort of um, divided on my feelings about Cherry Munzami because on the one hand, I, like, absolutely love her. Like, I love her, her performances in, in Rob Zombie's movies, her husband's movies. Oh, yeah, they're
0: unhinged. It's great. She's
1: unhinged. She's great. She's incredible. But I also kind of, at times, I'm um, like, I don't know, like, uh, I, maybe I, I have what I, I like. I like her. I don't love all of Rob Zombie's movies. So I have some kind of feelings that that is yeah, and also he yeah, yeah. He, he's making a monsters movie that's coming out. Um, yeah, I don't know how to feel about that. I really don't know how to feel about that. And she's playing Lily Munster, which interesting. I, I mean, I really have no idea what like the vibe of this movie is going to be because the Munsters is a fucking TV show from like the nineteen sixties. It's like
0: it was also it was also goofy and heartfelt. Like there were always like really nice messages in every episode of the Munsters and so like how are you gonna how is rob zombie going to handle that content
1: i yeah i'm i'm kind of perplexed i've heard interviews of him talking about like movies he wants to make and it seems like he has ambitions outside of the horror genre but it also but even that stuff seems like he's he's just really interested in like exploitation films as well but but i'm like so but how are you going yeah Yeah. it's just it's kind of confusing what is the monsters going to be like um but that's a pretty good casting for Ava. It would work. She could be kind of... Like I said, it's cliche.
0: It's it's literally the type of role she's been in other things. Uh, just in this situation, she'd be less... Uh, maybe not less predatory. I was going to say less predatory, but she does kill, or c- does kill one person straight up and tries to kill another. So uh, it is basically the same
1: character. <laughs> just less m- malicious and sadistic, I guess. Okay, so the the last person I had on my list, there, I mean, there's multiple characters in this, but um, I, I was just thinking of casting, you know, a few central characters. There's Marshall Art Mullen, who is yep,
0: that's the other person
1: I cast. He's basically um, Raylan's superior, but he gives Raylan a lot of latitude. He kind of lets Raylan do what he wants, but he does seem to be calling the shots a little bit higher up. So for this role, I had this actor. His name is Colin Salmon. Um, and his last name is spelled like, like salmon, Salmon. like a nice, you know, a nice filet of salmon. Carl with a K or with a C? Colin with a C. Oh, Colin. I heard Carl for some reason. And he was, um, in the movie Resident Evil, the first one. He played the, uh, the sort of like platoon commander. Um, he was, he was also in some of the James Bond movies. Um, oh yeah, yeah, this guy. Yeah, he's the. Uh, we we went with, we went for the same
0: vibe in our castings of this character, and I love it. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's in the Pierce Brosnan and James Bond movies as the like second in command to M, who is who was always kind of like standing by to carry out M's orders. Yeah. Okay, so who did you have? I don't remember that. I don't remember that character's name, but yeah, he's a good casting for that. I went with Tay Diggs. Oh that's cool that that works It's literally the same vibe um, and I have a very specific reason for picking tay Diggs in that he's the one that read the audiobook uh, oh wow yeah how was so yeah. how
1: was he as an audiobook narrator Oh uh, very
0: weird um, he was fine some of his accents were a little odd but um, it was fine.
1: Okay. That, that but does, I I I like a... his when
0: when when I was when I when I was reading it though uh, or listening to it rather. I definitely got like a vibe of like, ah, he could be Art. Okay.
1: Well, I I don't know. I as I said, I feel like justified is cast perfect as it is. Um even though I be- I've only watched like one episode, but uh I mean Timothy Oliphant uh, I, I it's interesting to see how he has evolved as an actor and is taking on more western roles like I remember. Yeah, because he took on the Marshall role in Mandalorian,
0: and he owns that role. Like, I love that character.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's also in the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He plays an actor who plays, like, a Western, or or plays a cowboy. Um,
0: Yep. Yeah. Very clean cut in that. It looked good.
1: Yes, yeah. And I remember seeing him, like, in the 90s or in the 2000s when he was not as popular but he, he's kind of... It's interesting to see actors who've, who have taken off. He was in... Um,
0: he's in one of my favorite horror movies that's under-discussed and maybe under-loved called uh, The Crazies. He's really good in... The, yeah, that that's
1: a really good movie.
0: And, and it's also kind of a similar kind of cowboy role. Um, and then he's also a villain in one of the Die Hard movies. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. He's in the movie Dreamcatcher as well. He plays... I think his character's name's Pete... And he's it's kind of a weird role for him. He's like an alcoholic. Yeah, I've never seen guy. that. Yeah. The Dreamcatcher catcher is one of Stephen King's more interesting. It's an interesting work. He wrote the book when he was um, recovering from a really bad accident. He was hit by a van when he was out walking. And he's
0: he- is that the one where he thought it was one of his characters trying to kill him? I don't know. I didn't, Is that that story? I know I know. there's a whole story where Stephen King was convinced that he had to finish the Dark Tower series because his characters were unhappy and trying to kill him in real life. And so, spoilers for anyone that wants to read the Dark Tower series, don't listen to this next thing I say. But he, he wrote the Dark Tower series into a time loop to capture all of his characters so they couldn't escape the story and kill him.
1: Are you happy, Chris? You ruined the Dark Tower for everyone. Only the people that listened? I told them not to listen! Alright, so let's talk about uh, this book as dad-lit. Now, you said you didn't like it. I w- what don't you like about this book? It's not a book, it's a I was pretty story.
0: Un- I was fairly unmoved by it until that last part that I read out loud. I, th- I-, I felt it was fine. Raylan Givens is kind of bland but like i said it's just like a cowboy yeah like that most cowboy protagonists are kind of bland i yeah I didn't care yeah. for i didn't care for how much time they spent on boyd in the beginning for something that was ultimately not that important it is that the setup for why he's in trouble with the law and why he's being pursued by a marshal but i feel like that could have happened a lot quicker it does give you an insight into his character and what his beliefs are, but I feel like the, the second half of the story kind of uh, moves very quickly and concludes very quickly. It's kind of action without a plot, Well, if that makes
1: sense. It feels like action without a plot. I did, I did think a weak point in the story was the, the um, attack on the U.S. Marshals by the Minions, that uh, that would be a massive gunfight and a really big deal. Yep. And I thought it was sort of and a, they yada yada
0: really quickly. Yeah,
1: they, they that that part is yada yaded quite a bit. Um, so I I did enjoy this. There I there are some weak points in it. Elmore Leonard is is amongst other things is known for his Western stories. He got started publishing a lot of Western so- stories, so it's kind of interesting to see. That influence on this story Not just in the character of Raylan But in the structure of it And in the story itself Which as we discussed a little bit Is kind of a western story Like you could strip it of its contemporary elements And it wouldn't be difficult to Move this into a western uh, Context
0: Yeah you swap out wagons For cars They still blow up a church in the beginning The marshals are still drawn into it The girl still kills the brother uh it's it's almost the same story just a uh, lower technology available it would work perfectly i love stories like that when it's done the right way and i think this like i said i think this just needed a little bit more for it to appeal to me um i love that ending though that like did i rack it or did i not rack it like if i racked it she's gonna kill this guy and I probably shouldn't let that happen. If I didn't rack it, he's going to kill her because she's not going to have any shot in her gun. Uh, so it kind of like forces him into the decision to draw on him.
1: That that might be a good thing to add to the dadlet checklist as well, which is like slow motion thought process. Like in an action scene. Uh, and we, we talk about it a little bit with... The Reacher books and some other things Where they're kind of rational Yeah because with
0: the Reacher books we talk about that kind of like Sherlock Holmes style kinetic I'm going to describe the f- things I'm doing While I'm doing them in the fight
1: Yeah I guess
0: you could Add that to the checklist I don't know how you would word it
1: It might just maybe we'll just make an Extension of of whatever the other Thing was I don't know We'll, we'll, put, to, we'll put together the checklist into A formal nice some nice Copy and post it on our Instagram uh, one of these days um, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it as a story, as a piece of dad lit. You know, just to share some personal information, I I remember seeing this book in my parents' bedroom like a lot when I was a kid. Um, I don't remember my dad being like a huge Elmore Leonard fan, but. This book was, you know, just got kicked around my house a lot. So it, I do have that, like, dad-lit memory of it, you know, because a lot of these books are kind of like, yeah, this is the books I saw growing up just kind of sitting around. Mm-hmm. So for me, it yeah. does have a strong dad-lit quality, um, maybe not in terms of its formal characteristics, but because of its place in history. I, I mean, I would give it, like, a, as a dad-lit book, uh, 50 White Sneakers. You know, and a and a alligator tooth necklace. Fifty, that low. Yeah, I mean, it's not a it's not, it's not like a it's not a bad it's not a bad story by any means, and it's not lacking in the things that someone who enjoys, for instance, Clive Custler, you know, would enjoy. Like yeah. you, th- those audiences will appreciate this, but it's maybe I'll bump it up to a sixty with a
0: little bit of a little I was a gonna to gonna, give it, a was gonna it, it like a solid 60 of a little bit you a little it a little a of a of a little bit of a little bit a of of
1: a of Well, to wrap things up, uh, I was curious, are you reading anything interesting, or did you finish anything um, besides this short story in the past week or so?
0: Nah, not really. I've been pretty busy with work and some some, uh, writing projects and things. Uh, I've just been continuing to read things that we talked about previously. Um, uh, I'm open to recommendations. If anyone wants to email us and recommend me a book, uh, email us at uh, dadlitpodcast at gmail.com.
1: Dadlitpodcast at gmail.com. That's what I just said, Connor. <laughs> Let me say that one more time. Dadlitpodcast at gmail.com. Uh,
0: yes, it's dadlitpodcast at gmail.com.
1: Gmail.com.
0: Dot, <laughs> dot com.
1: Okay, <laughs> that's cool. Um, yeah, I know. what you. I I finished a book. Like, I've been reading some shorter books. The last one I remember, I read this book called Majestic by Whitley Strieber. Now, he... Yeah, how was that? I was excited to hear... Because
0: you wanted to... You were toying around with reading the books that I've been telling you to read for goddamn forever. The Isaac Bell You had Bell just books. gotten done... Yes, the Isaac Bell books that I told you about, and then later on, you're like, hey, Chris, have you heard about this series? And I'm like, yes, God damn it, I've been telling you about it. And you picked up the first one, and you... you it arrived, like, the day after you got done uh, beaming about this majestic book that you wanted to read. And you're like, I'm going to read this next. I'm like, no, no, read that Majestic book. You really want to read it. So was 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 that the correct choice?
1: Did you, it was a good choice to read that first? You enjoyed it? I would, so I would recommend it to everyone, but that's because I think people should read and as much as they can about extraterrestrials, but I don't think everyone would like it. I think a very limited audience would enjoy it, to be honest with you. Um, it, is, it is a novel, it's like an epistolary style novel, it's like letters and reports and stuff like that, but it is based on true events, and um, it is, it's about the government cover-up of the Roswell UFO crash. Now what is your belief on that? Do you, are you in
0: the, 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 the house of it was a, a UFO crash are you in the belief that it was uh, a weather balloon, or are you in the belief that it was a um, top-secret sensory technology that was going to be floated over Russia on a balloon to find out if Russia had nukes?
1: Well, I, I, my answer is I don't know, but I'm not convinced that I, I, I think I don't think it was just a weather balloon. I think there was something secret about it, of course, and. I think the I think the
0: theory that it was since like uh, sensing uh, machinery uh, that they couldn't talk about because it was Cold War stuff is compelling because the minute people had the idea or the story that it was aliens, the government
1: kind of just like, yeah, it was aliens. Well, what's let them think that? What's good about this book is it gets into the um the ethics of of a massive government cover-up, especially of something of this uh, this nature, and how and how awful it would be, actually. And how awful, you know, because Whitley Striever, Strieber, um has said that he was, he has a, had experiences with, uh, he, he's reluctant to identify them as, as aliens or extraterrestrials, but he wrote a book called Communion about his experiences, but um, I mean, you could just say he was abducted by aliens, but I don't think he would, he would not agree with that characterization but he was abducted by aliens um and so he he believes deeply in these things and it's this book is a lot of about like the government's failure to to responsibly like shepherd this information and how it it constitutes like a, a failure for humanity because humanity has been denied this information and this knowledge and that this small group of people, um, you know, b- basically took like a life oath to, to, uh, to prevent th- the world from learning the truth. I can't really say much more about it because it's it's like you got to read it yourself. You know what I mean? It's like y- it's the experience. Yeah, of and you've it. been there. You've 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 been to both both locations that are important to that story. Well, I've been to Roswell several times. Now the actual crash. Was reported to have happened in Corona, New Mexico, which is about.
0: That's what yeah. I, that's that's what I was saying. That the, both both locations that are kind of important, like Roswell, is kind of where the news broke, but the incident was Corona.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, but that was a really good book, Majestic, um, and it was also it was a really kind of there were cool like metaphysical thriller moments where. The narrator has all these like weird experiences with flying saucers and like has these hallucinations and is like flying over New Mexico like just in his body Um, There's a a lot of really Kind of freaky stuff in there. So if you're interested in government cover-ups and stuff like that It's a pretty good one to read. I also read this really good short story Um, I've been reading uh, some short stories by Raymond Carver lately. He's a pretty famous short story writer and I read this one called uh, Cathedral which is about this blind guy and it, it, it's his style of writing interesting in that he his stories don't necessarily have like a beginning middle end you know conflict is resolved usually it's kind of just like one person talking about something and in this it's a, about an interaction between this blind guy and this other guy and they get into a discussion of like how the blind guy conceives of things and at one point they talk about cathedrals and he's like well what is a when i say cathedral what do you think of and it just it leads to some really interesting discussion of like how this man's mind works and how he processes language and creates images in his head. It's a really good short story. I definitely recommend it. You can look it up on Google and find a PDF version, and it's only a few pages. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, now, now you're free to start that Isaac Bell series. Should we do the Isaac Bell?
0: Highly recommend. <laughs> hi, highly recommend both to you and to the listeners. I think it's far superior to Custler's main series the dirk pitt series uh uh, i i certainly am more fond of it than the the dirk pitt series and i like the dirk pitt series
1: yeah you know i i want to pick it up and read it i'm not in the mood to read a dirk pitt novel right now so i'm glad you mentioned that because i was like uh i want something a little more like yeah, it's, it's very different.
0: So for, for those that aren't familiar with it, so like the, the, the mainline books that Clive Custler writes take place in the modern day about like, uh, 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 like a government-sanctioned corporation that are like treasure hunters. They'll like go and find treasure and put them in museums. And it generally becomes like some sort of techno-thriller when a villain is introduced and some sort of ecology problem happens. But uh, he writes a number of other series, generally co-authored with other authors. Um, one of them is about like uh, a, a husband and wife, um, kind of like tomb raider couple. Um, one of them is about like a group of mercenaries that operate out of like a modified tanker vessel. Uh, one of them is about uh, like other people that work around Dirk Pitt that aren't specifically about Dirk Pitt. And then there's the series that I've been talking about, uh, the Isaac Bell series that takes place like at the like right at the end of the Old West, kind of the turning point between Old West and Noir, and it, the books are very much that vibe. They're both a Western, but they're also a Noir, and it's about the um, uh, like a Pinkerton agency, the the Van Dorn Detective Agency, and their one of their main investigators. Isaac Bell, and they're really interesting. The way they're structured, I find always compelling. It's generally there's some sort of MacGuffin or device that gives the villain an upper hand or is throwing the the investigation for a loop. And once the main character figures it out, he'll figure out a way to like use it to his advantage. Uh, they're, they're really they're real fun, like kind of like cat and mouse, hero versus villain kind of, like, almost in, like, the style of, like, Sherlock Holmes. It's, it's, they're good. They're really good. And they, they, they do a really cool thing that I'm a fan of that's, like, you know how, uh, James Bond has, like, fun gadgets and stuff? They're, like, science fiction? This takes real technology that just was not quite invented yet, or was brand new, and uses it as if it was some sort of science fiction. So, like, uh, the type of gun that the character gets in one of the books is, like, state of the art for the time period so if, if you were reading it back then or if, if uh, you know the, all the other characters see it as like this impossible thing but it's historic and was invented around that time it's just not widely used yet same thing with like some of the like other technology that they discuss it's always like stuff that's cutting edge for that time period and therefore is used in the
1: form as if it was science fiction for the time That reminds me of the book and the movie The Sisters Brothers, which is a western, and it's about these two, like, killer brothers who, um, they're on this journey, and at one point they stop into a a store, and one of them is talking to the shopkeeper, and he's like, well, I got this cool thing, you should try it. It's like, it's a toothbrush. He's like, well, what do you, a toothbrush? And he's like, and we have, like, these, like, this powder that you use, you get it wet, and you rub it on your teeth, and it's, it's minty. And the guy's like doing it, and he's like, "Oh my god!" Like he's talking to his brother. He's like, "You should try this. This is crazy." Uh, it's always kind of interesting, and that's that's so that's so weird to me because I know toothpaste not not
0: in the form it is now, but like literally what they're talking about, like the powder that you get wet, has existed
1: way before the Old West. Well, I just enjoy those those things in, <clears throat> in books where historic characters encounter technology the way you were describing. Um, yeah, it's it's cool it ha- Like I said, it happens a couple times in the books
0: uh, It's it's a fun little like. It makes it feel like James Bond, but it's history <laughs> Well, maybe I'll read that next, who knows um, Well, we also do have uh, The next big book that we want to discuss We might do another short story Beforehand, but we want to do uh, a tom clancy novel next so yeah. we do need to finalize which which one we're gonna do and uh announce it on the social medias
1: you want to just do it now want to just figure out what we're doing let's have people
0: email us their their recommendations or you can put a post up on the instagram of uh like a, like a vote and have people recommend tom clancy novels they think we
1: should read that's a good idea yeah 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 all right. Well, thanks for joining us for Dad Lit. We hope you uh, found something interesting about our discussion of Fire in the Hole by Amor Leonard. Uh, we hope to discuss some more short stories in the future. Thanks for listening. Catch you guys next time.
0: Thank you for listening, and remember, uh, we, we dug coal together. We dug
1: coal together. <laughs> Me this up in the book actually. Edit this out. What? Actually, you want me to edit this out? Get out of here. Just don't ask questions.